0: One-on-one in my office, one-on-one in the classroom, whole group instruction. There are so many things to consider when we are thinking about service delivery options for our autistic learners. Welcome to the Autism Outreach Podcast. I am your host, Rose Griffin, and this is episode one Forty-two. I can't believe it. This is a solo show and I'm excited to be able to spend this time with you together today to talk all about the different service delivery options that I utilize when I was working in a school as a speech language pathologist. There are a lot of considerations that we take into account when we are thinking about how to support our students in the best way possible possible. I'm going to give you examples of how I serve my students. And it was very, very individualized. I really loved my time in the schools, being able to really support my students in a way that they were thriving and making progress with their communication goals. I am thrilled to be able to join you live for this solo show. And I hope that when you're listening, this is always a timely topic, but one that is great for this Back to School Time. Welcome to the podcast. Let's get right on into it. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Today, we are talking all about service delivery of autistic learners in a school-based program. I am very thrilled to be sharing this information with you, especially at the start of the school year is when this is originally going to air, as I have worked in the schools for 20 years. And I did a training the other day in a school district, and I was like, oh, I really miss this. I miss being in a school. But I want to share with you some strategies that were helpful for me for service delivery for autistic learners. So I have experience working from preschool all the way through high school. And I want to share that with you today. We know that we always want our services to be very individualized for every different type of student. And so I want to share with you how I was seeing students and across the lifespan and how that was helpful for them to make progress with their communication goals. I have experience and worked with students one-on-one in my office, kind of a traditional pull-out speech therapy services. And so I would do this for younger students, for preschool age students. If I was working with a student who was not yet speaking And they needed to have a nice, quiet spot to work in. And the way that we would put that on the IEP about where services were going to take place, because now, towards the time that I was phasing out of writing public school IEPs, I still continue to write goals, but they are more clinical for insurance goals. But we were starting to put exactly what goal, exactly what objective, and where the service would be delivered. So with some students, I would see them in my office so that we could be free of distraction. And also when I worked clinically, I know I said we're going to talk just school-based, but that's hard for me because I also worked in non-public programs. Sometimes I would see students in my office because their classroom was very loud and their classroom was very noisy. So if I needed to see a student one-on-one, that was not everybody on my caseload because even though here at ABA Speech, I talk only about autistic learners. When I was in the schools, I worked with every student. I worked with students who were struggling with their speech clarity, students with selective mutism, stuttering, students with a whole host of communication concerns. So one-on-one in my office is more of a traditional type of service delivery model, and I did provide that service. Another thing I would do for students is do one-on-one instruction, but go into the classroom. So sometimes speech therapists call this push-in therapy. Some people don't like that term, but I don't have a problem with it. So push-in therapy, meaning I would go into the classroom and I would still be working with the student one-on-one, but I would be going into the classroom to deliver services. I really liked this type of service delivery. And I would do this usually when a student had their own teaching area within the classroom. And that just made it easier because the student the student that I'm thinking of was an older student. He was a middle school student. And so he had a teaching area where he had a one-on-one support staff for most of the day. And that one-on-one support staff would support him when he was in group instruction, but would also provide individual instruction and just kind of help him throughout his day, making sure he's going to the correct places and getting his needs met and all of those different things. So when I would go into the classroom, it was still one-on-one instruction, but I was providing the one-on-one instruction in a teaching area that was for just for the student. So I would go in, all the materials were there, the data binder was there, the student knew that speech therapy was on their schedule, this particular student had a visual schedule. And so I was still providing one-on-one instruction, but the setting was different. So it was in the classroom. So we have one-on-one instruction in my office. We have one-on-one instruction going into the classroom. Another type of service delivery that might be effective for your learners are a dyad. A dyad. So I have two, this is what I call it. I have two students to to me, to the one me. Um, And sometimes I maybe have two students and Uh, Two students, me, and maybe a paraprofessional if a student had a, a robust behavior plan or some type of need in that area. So I would typically see these students, I wouldn't do that type of instruction in the classroom because I think that would take away from the teacher's instruction time. I would typically see these two-to-one students in my office. So I was lucky enough to, every year that I practiced, all 20 years, I had an office. Now, sometimes I shared this office with a fellow coworker, one of my friends. I actually, um, it does some work for me here at ABA Speech, Julie, that um, I met when we were in (laughs) sharing an office. So it's not always the worst situation. Sometimes, you know, you can make a lifelong friend that way. Um, So two-to-one in my office... Or, what I would do, uh, because my office was kind of far from where I, a lot of my kids were uh, getting their services throughout the day, I would see two students to me and I would do that in a commons area. So this might be more popular in... I'm trying to think of some of the... Although some of the buildings that I consulted in in Texas, in Austin, I lived there for three years and had this really cool consulting job in Leander ISD. But some of those places had more communal areas in the building. So I would pick my students up from class. There would be two of them who had similar goals or who worked really well together. And then I would see them in my office or in a commons area. And usually when I was seeing a student two to one, it was either students who had similar goals or it was students who actually had different goals. And I would work with one student while another student would sit and wait for us to to work on the specific goal and then I would work with the other student on their specific goal sometimes give this kid something to work on or a drive a race board a book to look at something to draw so that everybody was engaged and that was really a nice way for me to work with students in that way also when my office was kind of far away from where a lot of my students were Located in the uh, classroom that I was working with, that was kind of a good time for us to just practice walking in the hall, navigating the larger school environment, maybe following directions within the building, we would kind of embed all that in that way to the speech therapy office. Um, And then when I would have the students leave, they would traditionally just kind of go on their own. I might just kind of trail behind them down the stairs to make sure they get there or text the teacher and say, hey, they're coming. Um, But it was nice because it fostered this independence as well. Okay, so we have one-on-one in my office, one-on-one in the classroom, Two to one in the commons area in the school or in my office. Now, I have had some students who are getting speech therapy multiple times during the week. So, I had some students who were seen twice individually, once in a large group. I've had students who were seen one time individually, one time whole group. I've had students who were seen one time individually. One time in a dyad, one time in a small group. And these were written out in our IEPs. Um I think if you've listened to any of my trainings, you know that the district I worked in was a really wonderful district. I um really loved working in that district, but it was a very affluent area. So we were very much following um a lot of guidance from lawyers and advocates. And it was never just um, a small little iEP meeting if you catched our caught our last um, ASHA training, it was all about ethically navigating IEP meetings. And um, I didn't use the word contentious in there, but I did talk about some contentious meetings that I've been in. (laughs) Um, Okay, so one-on-one and small group. So that was a pretty traditional, if I had a student, and I would see students like this clinically as well at the non-public programs that I worked in. So let's say I have a student and they're autistic, and they are getting one hour of speech therapy services per week. I would see them one time individually in a one-on-one session, like we've already discussed. And then I would see them one time in a small group traditionally in a public school, I would go into the classroom and I would see the entire classroom. Or sometimes the students were at very different language levels. It didn't make sense to do one whole group. So in previous years, I would do two different groups so that they were functional for the students. I really love doing small group and actually around the time that this is going to air, I'm doing an ASHA course all about group therapy. And I'm very excited for that course. I'm going to give you a sneak peek into all the things that I did for my students. And that is one of the things I miss most about being a speech language pathologist. So I always say if you need a consult on your group, obviously join the ABA Speech Connection membership so that we can talk in our monthly Q&A all about group therapy, because I really miss my smart board and I miss my group. But what I would do for a group is I would go into the classroom, and I always structured my group in a really specific way. You might have heard some of these things said in um, Start Communicating Today or the Advanced Language Learner. But I would start my groups with a question of the day for some of my students. I love the smart board because you can write on there with these special smart board markers. And that was always very fun on the dry erase board. And the kids could No, you're writing on the actual smart board, I believe. And then they could tally, answer their question um, of the day. I'd give them two choices. Or sometimes we would start with my Let's Talk Boom card, which is available at my TPT store. It has a question and it has four different visuals. Because a lot of the learners I was working with were using an AAC device or they needed a visual to answer a question like that. And so we would start with a question of the day, and then we would do an adapted book. And this adapted book is usually something I whip together. A lot of these I have in my TPT store, and some of them were very specific to my students and my region. So sometimes I would just use Google Slides. Um, and sometimes we would do a trip to the aquarium when the virtual field trips were a hot thing. Um, COVID got us into doing those types of things. Um, so we would do our adapted book. And then we would do an extension activity, which was usually a vocabulary activity to work on those different types of skills. And then we would end with my very favorite activity, which is a leisure activity. So that could be anything from playing younger students modified Simon Says, where it's always Simon Says, or doing yoga. My older students love that. So we would dim the lights, we would put on YouTube meditation music, and we would do yoga, standing poses only. Um, My occupational therapist had a really cool yoga deck. And so I would hold up the card, show the students, I would do the pose and the students would do it with me. I really love that. I always joke that I used to say I wanted to be an aerobics instructor. Um, I don't think I have time for that in my life, but that might be one of my retirement jobs. So stay tuned for that in about 20 years. Um, So small group. Small group can be very, very fun because if it's done correctly, you're going into the classroom. Usually I had a really supportive team. So Parapros would stay. The teacher was in there for a portion of the time, not the whole time, and they would see how we're modeling communication. And what was nice about that is they could then work on some of those different goals that I was addressing at different times throughout the week when I was not present. So the idea is always that communication will be embedded when the speech therapist or BCBA is not around. That's always the plan. Okay. So we have one-on-one, we talked about dyads, we talked about small group. I'm trying to think if I've ever had a student where I just saw them in a small group. I don't think, maybe a couple students, or maybe they just had a very minor social language goal and I would go in and I would do a very small group for their classroom. That That is probably something that I did from a service delivery standpoint. Another way that I would provide support for students is through a consultation model. A consultation model can be done in conjunction with direct service as well, at least where I was working. And a consultation model look might look like, let's say that I was seeing a student for... Uh, language intervention. And maybe that language intervention um, was going really well. And then the following year, the next IEP year, maybe I was just consulting on the case. And so for us, that really would mean that I was consulting with the school-based team. I would always make sure to check in with the student as well, just to say hi to introduce myself if I was a new to that student. Um, Oftentimes, consultation for me, at least, was with older students. So I did work at the high school, middle school, high school level. And I had some students who were on consult only. And that typically meant that I just worked with the educational team. When I was at the middle school, I think that was the best place for me to collaborate with teachers because the teachers met every single day by grade level, which was really amazing. So I knew when the teachers were meeting, when 6th grade met, 7th grade met, 8th grade met, and then I would go into the grade level team meetings at least once a month, depending on the learner need, and I would consult. And I would document this in my notes for that particular student. I would let that parent know sometimes via email that I went to the team and discussed the communication needs of their student. I wanted people to know that that service was being taken into consideration. It was being provided because sometimes consult can be this kind of gray area. Like, well, what does that even mean? Um, so for me, it was going into the grade level teams, discussing how the student was doing across their day, checking in. And then I did... I, did have a reasonable caseload so i was able to email the parents and let them know that i went into the grade level team that just kind of helped me have that ongoing dialogue and support of the parents which i think is really uh really important because parents do not always understand what a consultative model is and they might be hesitant for that as well another way that i supported students and this was more of a very specific case so i had an influx of students who stuttered on my caseload when i was working in the schools and It's really interesting, actually. It was like a couple kids all in the same grade. And it was a very small district. So I did. I remember emailing my SPED director and saying like, oh, my goodness, I need to do some professional development in the area of stuttering because it really just wasn't something that I had supported all that well. And this is what happens as a school-based therapist is you might get a student and you may not... um, Remember exactly all the, the strategies and support, but I had a great time learning all about stuttering. I took a lot of courses from Scott Uris, Nina Reeves, and um, they also have really wonderful YouTube channels. These were older students, and we used uh, YouTube a lot. I would show the videos of the different strategies, we would practice the strategies. We did a lot of counseling and support too. You know, stuttering is just a part of who you are. and um, But practicing strategies for getting through stuttering moments and antecedent strategies, strategies that we can do with our speech so that we're not disfluent. But if we are, it's just a part of who we are. And advocating. I really loved... You can tell. I hope you can tell. I really loved working with those kids. Um, and they're all older now. So anyway, I... Um, for one of the students, we ended up just doing quarterly check-ins. So this particular student was almost 100% fluent. We decided as a team, and these students were all in general education classes, and they were um, a part of the IEP process. They were a part of the IEP meetings. And so we decided as a team that things were you know, going well. But I didn't want to just dismiss the student because if you know anything about... Stuttering or anything about therapy, really, it's it's a continuum. Is what I learned about stuttering and um, just my my lived experience as a clinician in that area. Um, But I could see this. I had another student who was on very had a very small goal for social skills support. Was an autistic learner, um, and I think we went down to quarterly for that student as well. And so it was really just a quarterly check in, quarterly check in with the student. Um, once again, I would probably email the parent because this is quarterly. So it's not that often that I'm meeting with the parent or the team or checking in, but I just making sure that everything is going okay. Seeing if I can be a source of support for communication, talking with the students too, to say, you know, these things ebb and flow with communication. You might be in 12th grade now and everything might be fine, but when you go to college, maybe you're going to have a lot more stressors. I mean, I had a lot of stressors. You're my freshman, you're at college, it's so new and um so really just kind of talking with the students and discussing life beyond um school-based speech therapy. Too, so this might be applicable for your students and my district was really great about, you know, nobody was micromanaging me as far as, you know, oh, well, you can't do that. You should just dismiss them and um, because you know the process to have somebody get placed on an IEP or s- determine that they qualify for services is very, very rigorous. And so I always wanted to be that support for the student and then also for the team, especially if my students were most of the kids I'm talking about with quarterly check-ins were on more of an academic track where these students that I'm thinking about that I saw quarterly were going to go to college and they were going to do those things. Um although I did have another student who was, Um, going to go into group services, uh, went to school through 22. And then we would do for that student a monthly check-in. So the student used an AAC device, was doing a really nice job with it, didn't need direct services to make progress with goals. And so we would do a monthly check-in. And that was more for me to be a support to the team, and then to also be a support for that very important transition to adult services. And if you've worked with students who are in high school, you know they're The team gets very large for students because a lot of the adult service providers will start coming to meetings, potentially job coaches, people from the community. I really loved that age group working with older students and seeing how functional that was. And so that was nice to be a part of the IEP for that time. So that service delivery model for older students Sometimes I would do quarterly check-ins. Some students that were in more of a vocational placement, I might just go out once a month and see them in the community. Um, that's actually kind of a totally different type of service delivery. But speaking about older students, I had students who were going to high school for a little bit, then going to a vocational program for a little bit, this consortium that we use in my area, which is amazing. A lot of different school districts go to this and they just work on vocational skills. And once the students have a certain skill set, then they go out into the community and they go to job sites and they work. And I just loved that. I loved going to visit my kids and seeing communication happen in the real world. That generalization piece is is my jam. I really loved that so much. And um that was another type of service where I might just see the student either quarterly or maybe once a month. And really at that time you're serving the student and supporting them in communication, but you're also really being a support to the team. Because once students get older, it seems like there are a lot of different providers at those types of meetings. I learned a lot more about adult services and kind of that continuum of care. Okay. That's a lot of service delivery models. The last two I wanted to just touch on, um, I don't know if they're really considered service delivery, but it was part of my role as a speech-language pathologist. And I just wanted to mention it if it's something that you're um, working through. We had... On my team, a parent that would come in, actually, we had two parents that would come in and observe every single month, Um, didn't always observe speech therapy, but would observe our sessions. Um, And something to note about that is it was obviously always scheduled ahead of time with our principal, our special education director. And when a person was observed in our building here in Ohio, we always had another administrator present. So it was sometimes our principal. It was sometimes the guidance counselor. And that's really just to answer any questions during the session. So you don't want that parent observation to take away from the therapy session. It's obviously that parent's right to observe uh, but you don't want it to take away from therapy. Sometimes I would include the parent in therapy if we were working on social questions or if we were playing the double up game or whatever it is. Um, So parents coming in to observe. Another thing that we did um, for certain situations is we would have an outside consultant that we worked with often who was a BCBA you might be thinking, well, Rose, why would you have that? Because you're an SLP and a BCBA. But in my role in the school that I was working in, I was on the payroll as a speech language pathologist. Obviously, I was doing speech therapy the way that I communicate with you on a weekly basis, but more behaviorally oriented. So we would have a outside consultant who would come in help us with the assessment piece, would give us input and feedback on academic goals, would talk with me about our communication goals, and would um, every nine or six weeks. I've blocked it out every time that progress reports are due. um, Maybe it's nine weeks. uh, We would do the progress note and then the consultant would come in and do a meeting and go over the progress note note with the parent. So that was part of the service delivery model. Um, I wasn't directly involved in that, but I did do the progress note. So just some things to think about because The only thing that is constant is that every single student is going to need individualized services. That's why therapy is so exciting and overwhelming at times, too. I wanted to come on today and talk about these very timely, important topics, because you might be working with students who are coming in have had different services, maybe had services every day in a clinic. Um, But even in a non-public program, the most I ever saw a student was one hour a week. And really the idea with any service delivery model, and what I would always say, is my most important job as a speech therapist, whether in a clinic or whether in a public school, is to build rapport with the student, to write some really amazing goals for them based on communication, and to get to know every single person on the team. Because the idea that communication only happens when the student sees a speech-language pathologist or communication only happens when the student sees a BCBA is not going to help our students, is not going to maximize client outcomes. Where we get more bang for our buck is when we're able to embed communication across a learner's day. That is really where things are going to change for our student and have them Use spontaneous communication to be independent communicators. So whether you're seeing a student one-on-one in your office, one-on-one in the classroom, two-to-one in your office or a commons area, one-on-one and a small group, just small group, consultation, quarterly check-ins, you are doing such important work. I wanted to come on and talk all about service delivery to help you in the beginning of of the school year. If you have any questions, make sure that you hit me up over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose. By the time that this airs, we are going to now have our ABA Speech Connection membership, which is a CEU membership that I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to offer. Every single month, you get a new... ASHA and ACEU course, which is focused on autism, and communication. We have an amazing group of dedicated professionals that are in their learning together. You also get to do a one-on-one consulting call with me when you're a new member. And every month we meet for a monthly Q&A. We talk about service delivery. We talk about data collection. We talk about intervention. It is a great group of people. And if you haven't joined us already, make sure you check the show notes because I have a link so that you can. It was amazing to connect with you. I hope that you're all having a great start to the school year and I'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.